0: uh really calm like we're starch people over on this side we love french fries and carbs <laughs> that's right there you go um see this thing this is a jelly jelly sandal so i'm going to give you a church i don't want to call you out but the church my tip Bartosh has changed seats this morning. Okay, so if you've never been here before, they sit in the same seat every week, and they're not today because somebody sat in their seat. This is so. This morning, um, Hanna ran up to me. So this is a church lesson I've been giving you guys. What does it look like to be a church? Ran up and and just handed this to me. Didn't say anything. Didn't communicate why didn't tell me what the purpose of it was, just handed me the shoe and ran off. And I'm looking at it going, well, that fits about 15 different units in this house, this church. It belongs to somebody and it's not gender neutral, so we know that we got to find the girls. What's the lesson? Hannah and I don't have a relationship. She doesn't know me that well, right? But this church has created a culture to where the adults have important things to say and do and have answers and can help them, help the little kids. So without even thinking about it, I was the closest adult to her, and she hands me this jelly shoe knowing that I might have an answer for it and I might know what to do with it And I might know who it belongs to, because she didn't want to deal with it, and she wasn't going to deal with it. And so it's for you, because you need to deal with it. So, hey, what does that mean for a church? That means we need to have an environment to where the little kids feel safe, feel safe, they feel encouraged, they feel like they have freedom, and they feel like they can learn or have answers from us adults. It's a beautiful thing when our kids, all of our kids, and we we've, we've felt this from when our little kids were just babies and we were handing them to somebody else as a Sunday school teacher, when you can impact somebody else's kids' lives and teach them about the Lord, teach them about real life, teach them how to love people, teach them whatever. But if we have a culture here at this church to where all the little kids will come and hand their jelly shoes to you because they know that you have an answer, I promise, that's a bridge to a deeper conversation with them as they get older. It's a bridge. Just having, I know it's funny, and I I taught Jeremiah, I mean Jer-bear, that Kale was garbage. But now we have a relationship because of Kale. But he's willing to come up and talk to me regardless. He's not afraid. He's not intimidated. It's a culture that we've created And so we need to continue to do that very thing here as a church, to culturally let the kids come so that we can stir them up and disciple them and send them out. Have you ever thought of this? And then one last little piece about this, and then I'll get into what I'm actually supposed to say. All of these kids that are growing up in our church, and now we have some teenagers, but we have this pile of, like, littles. They are potential missionaries. In fact, we need to think of them as missionaries. Our desire when they turn 18 is to shove them out the door, fully equipped to transform the world so that they are kingdom-minded little missionaries that head off to their colleges, head off to work environments, so to where they, they have the DNA that we taught here at Casper Alliance Church to transform the world through the name of Jesus Christ, right? And if we prep them all the way up from birth to 18 years old, we have effectively sent out piles of missionaries to the world. When you you change your thought that direction, it gives us a lot more purpose, a lot more purpose, in in the interactions that we have within the church building. The hallway interaction, the Sunday school room, the Wednesday night ministry, it has a lot more purpose because we're training up disciples so that they're missionaries. And if you can hand your child off to another set of parents in here, and they have, the, they have similar viewpoints but a different style, that gives your kid a well-rounded base to be effective. So let the children come. If you get handed a jelly shoe at some point, it's because that kid trusts you to give you the answers. And then someday, you're going to be able to give deeper answers. All right, we're going to be in Luke 19. Luke 19, 28, verse 28. Let me pray. Father in heaven, give us a fun time as we look into your word. Help us to to not be, uh, not to drift, <laughs> because we've heard the story before. And it's Palm Sunday, and we do Palm Sunday every Sunday, every uh once a year at this time of year, and, and Lord, it's easy to just kind of settle in and, and get through. So Lord, I, I pray that during this time that you you give each person in this room something that they can do that will draw you closer to the him, draw them closer to you so that they can grow deeper in their faith and in their calling and in their purpose for life. Lord, your words only this morning. In your son's name, amen. Let me read the story to you. Luke 19, starting with verse 28. And when he he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the moment, at the mount, these glasses are not working for me today. At the mount that he called all of it, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you And, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down to Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I'm not going to break new ground this morning. You understand the story? There isn't uh, anything I think I can tell you that's going to make you go, wow, I've never heard that before. And I'm actually wrestling with that regularly in my own life, saying as I prepare talks or preaching, that I I put the structure down and I go, this isn't new. This is just a guy that goes to church with a bunch of people he really cares about, putting some things together to say as part of my job description. And so the same thing happened this week. It's happened like the last four weeks where I'm going, you know, there's not a lot new here that we're going to break today. We're not going to discover something uh, that we've never, we're, we're not going to have a Holy Grail moment at church this morning. And the truth is, The truth is I get a little discouraged by that in my own kind of walk and personal life and I I want to be like this dynamic communicator who is transformative with all of his words and can come into the room and just draw everybody in and communicate the word of God so that everybody's life is changed. Wouldn't that be great? What an awful agenda I've created for myself. Right? That's And I live that. I live that in pressure. I live that in stress. I live that in maybe like personal accolade. I live that in just kind of the way I'm wired. I want to achieve. I want to get things done. I want there to be this space here to where people are drawn. And we just go, yeah, because this guy, this guy up front does all of this stuff that's amazing. And when he gets talking, when he gets rolling, people like really, they like, they lean in and they listen. And it's just stuff happens. And God is just with him. I mean, I love the affirmation, so don't stop. But that agenda, that purpose, that thing that I've created on my own, in my own weakness, in my own selfishness, is ugly. It's really ugly. And it feels ugly sometimes. But it only feels ugly, I think, when I, in this in between of preparation and uh, delivery, like this moment right here is where it feels the ugliest. Because there's another, there's a side where I get to, to where it doesn't feel ugly anymore because I feel like God showed up and it had nothing to do with me. But up until that point, after I've prepared, it feels ugly. If we were to ask each other, what is your purpose? Would you be able to answer that question? Parents, have you ever asked your kids, you know, what is your purpose? Why do you want to do what you're doing? What do you feel like God has planned for you? And maybe a more appropriate question for kids is, hey, what do you dream about? What's something that you're dreaming about doing? What's your purpose? As adults, we have to ask ourselves that too sometimes. What's my purpose? What, do I, what am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? What does God want me to be doing? And we wrestle with that. We bristle at it. We're like, ah. And everybody wants the aha, kind of like, this is why I'm here. This is why I arrived in this place. This is my calling. This is my purpose. And then everything is supposed to go into this beautiful little picture to where all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle go together. And it's just this just magnificent view of what it's supposed to be. What's my purpose? Jesus for multiple chapters that we've marched through for 14 plus weeks has been telling the disciples the purpose. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And we've gone through a lot of a lot of Luke in the last two and a half months. We've looked at Luke and dug into Luke and Studied Luke, and I've talked about Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. We'll go up to 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised turn the page probably over to verse 44 Jesus says this again let these words sink into your ears the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men but they did not understand this saying and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about what he was saying. So they didn't fully understand it, but they were like, there's something going on here that's a little unique. He's saying things that are weird. Turn with me to chapter 12 of Luke. Picking up at verse 49. It says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it be were already kindled i have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished more code but more purpose here's what i got to do luke 13 starting with verse 32 and he said to them go and tell that fox behold i cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day i finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Go over to Luke chapter 17 now. Verse 25. In the middle of this message of the coming kingdom, he says, But first, you must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. One more, Luke 18, starting with verse 31, says this, And taking the twelve, he said to them, So we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus had been laying out all along in little bits and little pieces of what's going to happen what is about to come? He didn't give a timeline necessarily. He didn't say the day it was going to happen... But there were indicators, Jerusalem, and there were some different places and, and some different like, points. And, and the truth is, anybody who was a Jewish scholar, and, and these disciples, Jesus was, but these disciples were learning, and they were Jews, they knew some of the prophecy. They knew some, some of the things that were going on. And they were making these connections, but they weren't grasping it. They weren't getting it. It wasn't landing on them fully. But Jesus was telling his purpose all along. He was continually letting them know what was going to happen. And then he arrives at this point that we celebrate, and I'm not, I'm not picking on it. We celebrate in the way that they celebrated. We let the kids run, and I was, I was trying to get our kids to scream Hosanna. And they were like, I'm not supposed to do that. And I'm like, do it, scream Hosanna. And every time they walk by, I'm like, yell it. And they're like, ah, Hosanna! What we do that we celebrate Palm Sunday that way? We get the kids and we run them around the room and we have them scream Hosanna. We have them yell Hosanna, and they're caught up in it. They're raptured into the moment of what's happening. They know that this is a celebration, just like the disciples. This is the moment. I think this is the moment. We're we're going to Jerusalem. We're taking back the kingdom. This is our kingdom. We're taking it back. Here comes Jesus. And they got raptured in the moment as well. The purpose was laid out before them. Regularly. What was going to happen? I feel like we're, we can pick up on some of these things only because we have hindsight, right? And in the moment, I'm trying to put myself in the disciple's place or a follower's place and going, what would I have thought? And the truth is, why are we going to ride a donkey? I mean, we're taking the kingdom. Let's get some horses. Donkeys are kind of stubborn and slow. And why would we want to be at a donkey? Like, that didn't dawn on anybody. Like, oh yeah, I'll go get the donkey. Let's go get the donkey and bring the donkey to Jesus. Jesus wants to ride a donkey, not a horse. I mean, it's... We're going to take a slow trip, I guess, into Jerusalem because donkeys don't run like horses run. So let's donkey it up and donkey down and we get a donkey ride. Let's ride the don. I mean, if you're observing and you're going, yes, the kingdom's here. Let's celebrate, right? I remember when I was in high school and I thought it was really cool to go to prom. And now looking back, prom is stupid. Teenagers, you don't need to go to prom. Hang out with me. Come to the church on the prom night. We can have a church night. Prom's dumb. Just kidding. Prom's the best. I had a 76 Datsun, which would be worth some money nowadays. But I, that's what I drove. I had a 76 Datsun. I bought it for $500 of my own money. My junior year, I get to go to prom. This is exciting. But I have this brown 76 Datsun, right? it—and I, So I learned how to drive on a stick shift, which I don't even know if they make those anymore. So I knew how to parallel park with a stick shift. But I was so hard on this car that I only had third gear in reverse. In New York, Nebraska, you can drive around well with third gear in reverse. Doesn't matter. But to take a date to prom in a 76 Datsun that smells like, like a combination of Wendy's, teenage boy, and dirty diaper, probably not that cool. I wanted to, but everybody else was like, no, we're getting fancy cars, right? So... I had to go find somebody that I could borrow their car from because you don't show up to prom in a 76 Datsun. Fun thing about a 76 Datsun, that key works on every version of the 76 Datsun. So you can take that key and you just put it in somebody else's 76 Datsun and move it around. There was like four of them in my high school. We would mess with each other. It was the best. People's cars would end up in different towns and it was awful. But so I went and found this fancy car because I didn't want to take a... 76 Dotson to my prom. I wanted to look the part. Get the tux, get it all fancy, buy flowers, look the part. On the inside, I'm going, This is dumb. I need to go to work. Like, that's, you're like making these connections. Like, this is expensive. But I borrowed this, like, really fancy car that I was so scared to drive all night long. I was scared something was going to happen or somebody was going to hit me or there was just going to be this event. And It was like a, I don't even know what kind of car it was. It was like a 91 Dodge Charger. Which is an awful car. It's not like a Charger now. Anyway, I didn't get the horse. I, I wanted, I mean, I had a donkey to ride. I thought the donkey was great, but I was like, going to get the horse. We gotta show up in something special, and I'm telling you, that's kind of this mentality. Like we want to present ourselves well, and so when Jesus says, "Go get the donkey," I mean, I don't. I think that some of them are going, "Yeah, I think this is something that I've read before. I think this is something I've heard at temple. I think that maybe somebody's read Zechariah before, and we've talked about this, and like there's some sort of donkey prophecy that we're." But but no, they just go and get it and give Jesus the donkey. What's the behavior that happens with the disciples as? as the donkey rides in with Jesus, into Jerusalem, right? They're, low, they're throwing their garments down. Everybody's celebrating because this is the moment. And it's not this other stuff that he's prepared them for. Not the chaos. Not the mess. Not everything that's happening this week. But it's this arrival that the kingdom's here. The king has come. The king is coming in. And he's coming on a donkey. And we're going to win the day. This is our city, our time, our place we are the heroes because we've been selected. We're part of the inner circle, you see. So we're going to be the first ones to be kind of up on and rule. And we're going to rule and reign with the king. Can you see that from a human perspective? I mean, if you insert yourself into, the, into those stories and into that, you can see that. That's not new to us, right? Right? Profound statements made by Jesus, right? The 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 Pharisees, once again, they're fighting back. The the, and some of it is self-preservation, right? Listen, we're just Jews. We're not going to fight Rome. Rome has this resource that's going to destroy us. We can't fight back on this. They're occupying our city, our state. They're, they're in ruler over. We're going to like usurp them? And so I think in some ways the Pharisees are just like, man, we don't want to die today. We don't want to be those people who are, on the, we're going to be on the wrong side of this fight if we align ourselves. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm projecting a little bit and I'm creating my own kind of narrative. But I can see it from a human position. But we get the picture the Pharisees are always in opposition. Anytime Jesus is hanging out with sinners, anytime Jesus is doing something that, that like doesn't match the norm or the social norm, they're speaking out. And what do they do here? They say, stop worshiping. Quit bringing attention. And Jesus gives this amazing thing and says, you know what? The rocks and stones will cry out because I am the king. I am the king. And it doesn't matter. Because when I arrive in Jerusalem, the king has arrived, and you can suppress your worship. But as I enter, there will be worship. Because I'm the king, and the king has arrived. And that that is a heavy statement. To say rocks will cry out in worship. Things that have no life will be given life to worship my name. With one purpose, to worship my name. Do you see the parallel to us who are dead in sin? We're given life when Jesus enters the room. So all week long as i was doing my prep time and doing this thing that i talked about at the beginning where i have this tension where i'm like i just want to arrive and have this have this amazing purpose of my life and my ministry and my words and the things that i do and if how it, and like just go yeah and everybody go yeah together with me and how that feels ugly a little bit inside because i feel my calling is to do this very thing but i'm prepping and this whole week i'm like there's this song that keeps coming in my head It's not a song that we sing here but it's a song that i know and it says all the truth that i want to say and it has all the the picture of what happens when Jesus enters the room, when he enters the life, when he enters the heart, when he enters, what happens when Jesus enters? And so I want you, it's a lyric, and I, I don't do this very often, but it's a worship song with words on the screen and I want you to focus in on these words. You probably haven't heard the song before. And the song is called When He Walks Into the Room. So, Davian, if you play it for me,
1: when you walk into the room. starts to tremble at the light that you bring, and when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning, and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. We want you, come and consume God, all we are, we give you permission, our hearts are yours, we want you, we want you.
0: Somebody writes something better than you can say it. You just use it. That's, there is this beautiful, ugly theology we don't want to wrestle with that we actually talked about last week, right? This thing that we said, well, we've got to give permission. I'm giving you permission. Put yourself in the story last week. We talked about Zacchaeus, right? I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus has to come down and say, yeah, you can come to my house. Isn't it ugly how easy it is for us to not give God permission to enter in? We can say No. No, and what happens is that what I want us to be is a people that say, we give you permission, all that we are, we give you permission to come into our lives because we know that you're pursuing us, we know that you're coming after us, we know that that's the truth of Scripture, that you are going to hell or high water to save us, you are going to go through this chaotic mess, and we're giving you permission to enter into our lives. That's what I want us to be. A group of people that says, we give you permission. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that feels like all the way. We don't know how that's going to change us. We don't know what's going to happen. But here's what we do now. Let me ask you this question. It's in your bulletin. How will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Because here's the promise and the truth. When you allow him, when you give him permission to enter in, everything changes. Everything changes. You don't have an option anymore if you give him permission and you give him the keys of your heart and you say you're welcome into my life i swear you'll be different everything will be different everything changes when he enters the room it's resurrection life when he marches himself down into jerusalem on a donkey and he goes and is tortured and he goes to the cross which we'll discuss this week everything changes in its resurrection life, the he- people are healed. We have victory. We are dead. But now we're alive. We are the stones that will cry out because we're dead to sin. And he has given us life. So here's the challenge. Are you willing to allow Jesus to enter into your life? Are you willing to do that? Will you give him permission to have entry into your kingdom so we can establish his kingdom?